0: We've had a lot going on today, and um, I realize that uh, we've taken up a good portion of our hour already. But wow, this passage here, uh, this is one for us to hear. And I promise to be concise in speaking if you'll be concise in listening, all right? And if any passage has ever um, deserves for the church to be standing, it's this one. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But before we do, uh, we start the text in verse 4 of chapter 1 of Revelation. But I want to back up and read verse 3. And this verse uh, gives a little indication of why I'm excited that I get to read this and why you should be excited to hear it as well. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, that which is written, because the time is near. So we're about to be blessed as we read and as we hear the words of John in the book of Revelation. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the word of God. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom, and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. May God bless the reading of his word. The book of Revelation has to be one of the most intriguing books in all of the Bible. It's one that really calls to us and yet sometimes one that really challenges us and at times even confuses us. The book of Revelation is also known as the Apocalypse of John and that word apocalypse simply means a revealing and that's why we call it the book of revelation not s- you know, I'm trying to get you guys to heaven now and on the entrance exam at the pearly gates is to say the name of the last book of the new testament please don't put the s on the end of it cuz I want you to get in all right the book of revelation An apocalypse or a revelation is simply that. It is a revealing. It is pulling back that curtain that separates between the physical and the spiritual. You know, those of us who are believers recognize that we don't see everything that's going on, that there is a whole other dimension out there, the spiritual dimension, that is just as real, in fact, is even more real than the things that we can see here on this earth. And in a revelation or an apocalypse, God, through his inspiration, allows one of his prophets to take that curtain and pull it back and say, look, here is what is happening. Here are the things that are going on that you're not seeing, but trust me, they're really happening. Now, the revelation of John happened on a Sunday, and it's a book, as I read in that first Uh, In in verse 3, before we read the text, it's a book that was intended to be read to the church, primarily on a Sunday. And therefore, chief among what has been revealed as this curtain is pulled back is what is going on on Sunday. Because John says that as he was writing this, it was the Lord's Day and he was in the Spirit. So if you've come here today and you sat through all of this so far and you think all that happened was that we sat in a room together and we sang a few songs and we said a few words, then you missed it. Because there's been so much more happening all around us, beyond that curtain, and reaching through the curtain into our hearts and into our lives. Listen as John describes here in his opening statement, what is going on when the church comes together to lift up the name of God and to give him praise and glory. Begins by saying that he's addressing seven churches. And as you know, if you've read much of Revelation, seven is that perfect number. And by saying the seven churches of Asia, he's really saying all the churches in Asia. By saying the seven churches in Asia, he's really saying all the churches for all time. So as he addresses this revelation to the seven churches of Asia, he's also talking to the Johnson Street Church here in San Angelo, Texas. And let's listen as he tells us what is happening at that moment as he is in the spirit on the Lord's day. I've made a few little slides here. They're nothing fancy, but I just thought right, at the, right on Saturday, I thought, you know, we need to put something up there so you can see and get in your mind who's here with us. So John lists, and first of all, he lists himself. Now, of course, he's talking about when he was there, but in a way, John is still here too, because we still are speaking his words that he brought to us. He talks about the fact that God is among us as well. He also mentions that the Holy Spirit is here. And he mentions that Jesus is here among us. And then, of course, the faithful, those who have come to the throne of God, the church. Now, in listing those, he gives us some descriptions because he wants us to really be impressed with all the activity and what's happening around us. He describes himself as he opens up, he just says, John, but if we skip down to verse 9, we'll find out that he says he identifies himself as your brother who shares in struggles. And one of the great blessings, just like we had this time of prayer, and we're going to be doing that on a fairly regular basis. And please, you don't leave this place carrying a burden that you brought with you. Uh, that's a wonderful opportunity to go and to, to pray with someone who is a fellow struggler with you and someone who is a fellow believer with you. And this is sort of what John does right here in verse 9 of, of, of the first chapter of Revelation. Is he identifies himself, I'm your brother who shares in the struggles with you. I'm exiled on the island of Patmos. And as we've said already a couple of times, that this is all happening on the Lord's Day when John himself is in the Spirit. He mentions that God is with us. Listen to how he talks about God. He says he is the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. Now this sort of sounds like Old Testament Exodus, doesn't it? Where God says, I am who I am. This is a God who transcends time and transcends all boundaries. This is a God who is in control. He is in charge. He was in control then he is in control now, and he will always be in control. Now, sometimes we don't think that's true, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. We get to thinking maybe God is not still in control, but John wants us to know that he is here and that he is the one who is and was and is to come. He identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is the source of creation. It was out of God that we were made. God made us himself, and he made us for himself. Not only is God the origin of creation, he is the end or the goal of creation. That all this creation that he made was made for us to move toward him. God is a God who bids us to come to him and to be who it is that he intended us to be. And and he, he made us so that we could be with him. He identifies himself as the Almighty, once again, that ultimate authority, the one who really is in control, and then certainly as the Father, who, which emphasizes, again, the origins of creation in that we come from him, but it also emphasizes that he is a God who loves us and parents us. Let's look at his descriptions of Jesus, What oh, the Holy Spirit, I almost skipped the Holy Spirit. We're good at skipping the Holy Spirit. we got to get out of that habit, all right? Now, it's interesting that the way the Holy Spirit is, defi- is, uh, is designated here is the seven spirits. Or if you look down, I believe in your, some of your Bibles, you'll have a footnote down there that says the sevenfold spirit. Because really, uh, some people say, well, the seven spirits are like angelic beings around the throne of God. But it's probably John's way of identifying the Holy Spirit. John never uses that term, Holy Spirit in his revelation, but he refers to the Spirit of God in several different ways. Again, the, the number seven is a perfect number, so therefore the Holy Spirit is a perfect spirit. He could have also been influenced by Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, where the sevenfold Spirit of God is described. Certainly, John knew his prophets. If you read the revelation of John, you know that he knew Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He knew these guys well. In Isaiah, we read that the Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit is the Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit is the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, as we come together before the throne of God, not only is God with us, but His Spirit is here as well. He talks about Jesus being here. How does he describe Jesus as a witness? Or another way to translate that word is martyr. The Greek word is martous, which means it can be either the witness of God or the martyr of God. And either one of those really fits, doesn't it? Because Jesus is our witness to who God is. How do you know who God is? Well, God is an awfully abstract concept for us. And that's one reason he became a person. Because you can say, well, if God were a person, what would he look like? Well, he would look like Jesus. If God were a person, what would he do? Well, we already know because he was a person and he did what Jesus did. If God were a person, what kind of attitudes would he have? Well, we already know that because he was a person. And Jesus was the witness as to who God is. And even today, even though we cannot with our eyes any longer see Jesus, We still know what God would look like and what he would do if he lived on this earth because he has lived on this earth in the witness of Jesus. Or if you want to, you can translate that word martyr because certainly Jesus did give his life and laid his life down for us, his friends. He's also described as faithful. You know, there's probably no other description of Jesus that's any more important in all of Scripture than the fact that Jesus was faithful. We are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who ever lived upon this earth who did it right. He is the only one who did just exactly what his father God wanted him to do. He is the only one who never betrayed his father. He is the only one who never walked away from his father. He is the only being that has ever walked this earth who lived a totally, completely faithful life. And it is out of his faithfulness that he can then offer himself as a martyr and as a sacrifice. We are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. Paul talks about this several times in his letters. And too many times when we read that, we're thinking, well, what that means is that we're saved by our faith in Jesus. That's true. And that's pointed out sometimes. But Paul many times says, no, no, no. The real power of salvation is that we are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. Because he lived as a faithful being before God and then gave himself for us, then we are saved. Never underestimate the power and the importance of of the faithfulness of Jesus. He is the firstborn from the dead. This is the source of our hope. This is what we talked about last week on Easter Sunday, the fact that because Jesus was raised from the dead, then death has been defeated. Death really no longer has that stranglehold on us. We, by faith, know that because Jesus conquered death, that he will give that same gift to us Whenever he comes and returns and brings with him everyone who has lived a faithful life and has, been, has had faith in him and believed in him. Therefore, he is the first among a great family, as Paul talked about, that he is the firstborn in this great family that God has now given of children that will follow him and be raised from the dead as well. And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. There are probably kings on this earth that think that they're just pretty important and that they don't have anyone above them. We're wrong. They have someone above them. That Jesus is the ruler even of any of the most powerful person in this world, that that person has someone who sits above him in authority or above her in authority, and that is Jesus Christ. And after building all of this up, he says, And you know... This person who is all of these things, who's a witness and faithful and firstborn of the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth, he loves you. He knows your name. He knows all about you. Yep, he knows all about you. And he still loves you. Why? Because he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Hallelujah. You are not shaped by your past. You're shaped by your future because of this. You don't have to live in prison by what you have done in the past because you've been set free from that prison. That those sins don't have to hold you down and ruin everything from here on out. But rather, as we believe that God will save us and we look forward to that heavenly home with him, that's what shapes who we are. That's what drives who we are. Not our past, but our future. And Jesus is coming again to reveal God's justice. Did you notice that little passage in there that that when he comes again on the clouds, that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That's a marvelous little note there, isn't it? That even those people that nailed Jesus to the cross, can you imagine how they're going to feel when they look up and see him returning as the glorious Messiah and King over his the heavenly kingdom that will be coming to this earth. Can you imagine what they're going to feel like that? We are the ones who pierced him. We are the ones who nailed him to the tree, that God will send him back to declare his justice and what was really going on all this time. Then the church is described. The church is described in these terms, that we have been formed into a kingdom, into a community, that God has taken people of all kinds of diversities, different races, different ages, all kinds of different interests, and he put us together into a community. Now, this is something I like to talk a lot about, and I'm not going to because I'm almost, well, I'm out of time, but anyway... this, this is one of God's primary goals for us. It, it just is there that we learn how to work around all our differences and really be united as a community that belongs to him, as a kingdom. This is where we're going to live for eternity is together and his, his great... Uh, wisdom, he throws us together now, and he just sort of sits there and watches us and says, how you guys doing? You know, are y'all getting along okay? Are you working together okay? Because you guys are going to spend a long time together. You better start working on it now. And he gives us a job as well. He makes us priests. You, if you are a believer, are a priest. We believe here in the priesthood of all believers. And your job is to bring God to other people and to take other people to God. You know, we do that on a daily basis. You in your presence in the lives of others actually bring God into their lives. Whether they're looking for God or not, if they let you in, they've let God in. And you bring them then to God. Some people are never prayed for in this world except by you. You ever stop to think about that? There are probably people that if you don't pray for them, no one is going to pray for them. And therefore, what a great blessing it is to be a priest and to bring that person's name before God and to hold them up into his presence. In the mystery of God, allowing God to do what he will with them through the power of having them brought and, and set before his throne as you, his priest, bring them there. So these are the things that are going on in church. You know, isn't that a marvelous scene? And John wants us to know that all these things happen, that God is really in charge and that Jesus is returning and that Jesus has defeated all evil and that we have won. You look around and say, well, I don't see that. You know, you look around and say, it doesn't look like we're winning. There's still a lot of struggle. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness. Where is this great victory and this great celebration That John is asking us through the eyes of faith to see. Well, I want to tell you something. You're not the first person to see that and to realize that that's a problem. In fact, the people that John was writing to back in the first century, they were having that problem too. And that's why he wrote them this this revelation. To say, look... You think this is just all still a mess, don't you? You still think that evil is in charge. You think that all these bad things are happening and this is just going to go from bad to worse and everything's going to fall apart. Look behind this curtain. Look. Look at the victory. This is what is going on now and this is what will work out as history goes by, that one day... That Jesus will return, and yes, he has already defeated evil, but evil is a sore loser, and evil is taking out and using everything that it can right now. But one day, it'll all be put to rest. And one day, God's kingdom will sit here among us in its fullness and all of its glory. So the problem with announcing the victory and then looking around and saying, I don't see it, is one problem that the book of Revelation addresses as it takes us to where it's going to go. But it's not the biggest problem that it addresses. The biggest problem is, has this vision of what has happened in the spiritual realm, how has it changed your life? How has it shaped the life of those Who believe it? You know, a lot of people, if not most of the people in this world, will read the book of Revelation. I hope you've read it. Most people won't take the time to read it. A lot of people who read it won't believe it, they'll just read it and say, That's just kind of fanciful stuff. We read it and believe it. The question is, do we live it? Because the people that won't read it and the people that read it and don't believe it, the only way they're ever going to encounter it is in you. That if the vision of what is really happening and what is to happen has shaped who you are, it has set you free from your sins. It has has brought you into worship. To where when you come here, that you realize that God is here and that we are praising him and that he is filling your life, and you worship him. It affects your morality. Because while all our, our news reports and all the internet and everything else going on is reporting about all the immorality of people, you stand as shining stars in the darkness. Because you see things differently. Because you realize That there is victory in coming to Jesus and having him forgive you and set you on the right path and living a life that is clean and pure before the eyes of our Lord. What about your relationships? Are they shaped by this? Have you become someone like Jesus who is a true friend? Another one of those great descriptions of Jesus that is as valuable, I think, as his being faithful is that he was a friend. He knew how to hold on to people. He knew how to give himself up for people. Have we learned in our relationships that relationship is really about someone else and not about me? You know, look around in our society. Even the deepest relationship that we have that we call marriage has become in so many people's eyes all about what I want and what I get rather than about what the other person gets and what I'm giving to them. Have we been shaped in our relationships by this vision of what's happening in the spiritual realm? Have we truly comprehended that our past does not determine who we are, that it's our future? Because those people who won't pick up their Bible, they'll run into you. And we must be a people that are shaped by what's really going on. What is going on in this room, what is going on in our daily lives, what is going on all around us, that we live before the throne of God we live before the Holy Spirit. We live before Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We're going to stand up and sing a song. And our elders and staff will return to their positions. If you feel like that your life has been shaped by more what you see than what you believe, then this is your opportunity to go and let them pray with you and lead you and guide you as you bring your life into the reality that revelation shows us. Let's stand and. See.